Welcome to Stonebridge. Here are some announcements and things to know. During this time of virtual and social distance worship, it's important to continue contributing to the ongoing ministry of Stonebridge. Here are the ways in which you can give. You can give online through our website at stonebridgecme.com. Click on online giving. You can give through your bank's bill pay option, or you can give through the mail. If you'd like offering envelopes sent to you, please contact the church office. This weekend, we're launching an all-new message series called Divine Appointments. Join us as we engage in exciting scriptures through our community of growth groups. Take a look at our website for the list of groups offered and fill out the form to sign up. You can also send an email to Pastor Jonathan at jonathan at stonebridgecme.com. This weekend is the Super Bowl of Caring offering. Help us tackle hunger right here in Simi Valley by making a special offering online through our website. Sometimes weekend worship gets away from us. Try worship on the go. Stonebridge is committed to helping you stay connected to God and staying connected to community. When an alternative to online worship is needed, try Stonebridge's new podcast specifically designed for worshiping on the go. This new podcast includes announcements, the current week's message, and two worship songs. 30 minutes that will elevate your day. Look for the newly branded podcast with the graphic you see here. Stonebridge is currently recruiting and training new volunteers to help record worship music for weekly podcasts and online services. Audio video experience is preferred, but not necessary. If you're interested, contact Lee Krabby at lee at stonebridgecme.com. For those events that require registration, or for any details you might have missed, please check your newsletter or visit our website. And lastly, we would love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in your version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to worship. Hello, Stonebridge. I'm Pastor John, and we are starting a new sermon series entitled Divine Appointments, where we will be looking at Jesus' interactions with different individuals in the Gospel of John. We'll be looking for the way Jesus talks to people, the way he treats people, so that we can get an indication of how Jesus meets us in our lives and what the life that the Gospel of John invites us into, life lived with Jesus, what it actually looks like. So as we turn to this passage of John 3, 16 through 21, I invite you to join with me in prayer. Please pray with me. Lord, open up your scriptures to us. Help us to hear your word clearly through this passage from the Gospel of John. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Wherever we are, Lord, speak to us now. We thank you, we praise you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. John 3.16 may be one of, if not the most famous passages in the Bible. I mean, it seems like every time I go to In-N-Out Burgers, underneath the cup there is John 3.16. It's almost become a slogan for us Christians here in the United States. The famous evangelist Billy Graham, in 1995, he was asked what was his favorite Bible passage, and he pointed to John 3.16. 
saying that at every single one of his revivals, he wanted to make sure that he preached John 3.16. It makes sense that it's become a slogan for us. For God so loved the world, we're told, that he gave his only son, that any who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's a good invitation there. But the problem with slogans and the problem when Bible passages become slogans is that we get so used to hearing them that we don't stop to actually examine what does this really mean. And another problem with slogans is that we get so used to hearing them that we don't realize when we're pulling different ideas different concepts from other Bible passages or from what somebody else has taught us and pulling that into the passage when it's not actually there. And I think John 3.16, there's some examples of when this has happened. When you look at John 3.16, so often we hear this passage and we jump to this idea of heaven. In fact, I even went and looked at the internet, looked up different passages about what John 3.16 means. And so many of them seem to point to the idea of heaven and to the idea of life after death. The problem, though, is that when you really look at the words in John 3.16, the word heaven doesn't show up. There is the phrase eternal life, but that's not heaven. In Greek, there's a different word that is used for heaven that that word is not here in John 3.16. Instead, we have this phrase that we translate as eternal life, which could be translated as life of the ages or life in the age to come or the coming life. There's different ways to translate this concept of eternal life in the Gospel of John. And it may not be exactly our idea of heaven. So, what is eternal life in the Gospel of John? What is it actually pointing to? What is the Gospel of John inviting us to as we interact with Jesus here? Well, in order to understand that, we have to look at context. Because John 3.16 was not written as a slogan. This is actually written as part of a dialogue, part of a much longer section here. John 3.16 is followed by John 3.17 through 21. And those verses are important too. So we have to read those verses. And when you read those passages, what do you actually see? You see that Jesus and John 3.16, that is talking about condemnation. It's talking about those who will avoid condemnation, those who will be condemned, but they're not condemned, they condemn themselves. It talks about those who walk in the darkness and those who walk in the light. And while all of this is language we're used to, it's also a little difficult to know what exactly does it mean. It's so vague. We could interpret walking in the light and walking in the dark in different ways. It's at this point where, as I'm trying to understand John 3.16 and what eternal life is, that I feel like I want to just give up. That it just feels so vague I don't really know what John's talking about here. But that's when we have to again remember that context is so important. Because John 3.16 through 21, those weren't written as an individual passage. They're part of the broader story of the Gospel of John. And in fact, they're on the tail end of a conversation that Jesus is having. 
And we can't just take them away out of that conversation. That conversation is so important, I believe, for understanding what's happening here. John 3, 16 through 21, they talk about light and darkness, walking in the light, walking in the darkness. And throughout the Gospel of John, light and darkness are so important. The people who are walking in the darkness, they lack understanding. They don't know who Jesus is. They can't see what God is doing. They aren't in tune with God's work in the world. Those who are walking in the light, they understand who Jesus is. They understand what God is doing. So for those who are walking in the darkness who don't understand, it leads to evil actions. It leads to them harming the world and harming others around them. For those walking in the light, it leads to the eternal life that the Gospel of John invites us to. So whenever we go through the Gospel of John, we have to be looking. When is there darkness? When is there light? And right before John 3, 16 through 21 is a conversation that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus. And who's Nicodemus? Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a teacher in Israel. He's educated. He's a leader. He'd be in the upper classes. He would be looked to as a model and as as an example. But when Nicodemus comes to talk to Jesus, the Gospel of John gives us a detail that is so important. We are told that Nicodemus approaches Jesus in the night. It's dark. It's during the dark time that Nicodemus approaches Jesus. Nicodemus, in this story at least, is walking in the darkness. Because as it proceeds, what do we see from Nicodemus? And I encourage you to go back to John chapter 3 and read this passage this week. And look at how Nicodemus does not understand what Jesus is saying. He's supposed to be a teacher of Israel, and Jesus points this out, but he doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus is supposed to be a leader and a model, but he doesn't see what God is doing. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He asks these silly questions. He takes Jesus overly literally. He doesn't understand what God is doing in Jesus. And what does that lead to? Well, Nicodemus, he leaves this conversation And it doesn't seem like he tells anyone about Jesus. He doesn't help anybody else understand who Jesus is. He goes back to the Pharisees, and if he did try to tell them anything about Jesus, it was very ineffective. Because what we learn is the Pharisees, shortly after this, they want to take Jesus' life. So the people around Nicodemus, they have the opposite reaction of what they're supposed to do, of how they're supposed to respond. Nicodemus is walking in the darkness here. So that's an example of what walking in the darkness looks like. It looks like people not understanding who Jesus is, not understanding what God is doing in Jesus, and that leads to poor behavior. It leads to harmful behavior. It leads to the world not functioning as it it is supposed to function and human relationships not functioning as they're supposed to function. We have to remember, too, that the writer of the Gospel of John is a great writer, influenced by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The writer of the Gospel of John is so good at the old thing that they teach you in writing, show, don't tell. So we have this example of Nicodemus, and we are shown what living in darkness looks like. And the writer of the Gospel of John, being a great writer, 
also shows us what living in the light looks like. It takes place in another conversation. This is in John chapter 4, and I encourage you at some point this, re- this week to read that passage as well. But in John chapter 4, Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman at the well. It's, it's Jacob's well, this historic site in Israel's history. And this woman shows up, we are told, at noon. Now that might seem like just a, a small little detail, but it's actually so important. Because look at the way that John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 play out here. We have a story with Nicodemus that takes place in the darkness at night. We then have somebody who doesn't understand who Jesus is, what what God's doing in Jesus, and doesn't respond appropriately. Then we have this little passage in 3, 16 through 21 on walking in the darkness and walking in the light and how it's important. And then after that, we have somebody who meets Jesus at noon. When the sun would be at its highest point. It's the hottest time of day, but it's also the brightest time of day. There is the most light there. There's no way that this is an accident. The Samaritan woman at the well, she is an example of walking in the light. Now, real quick, I have to pause here because I know that I'm going to have to clean some stuff up for people. It's very common for this story of the Samaritan woman at the well to be treated as a story about her being forgiven for sexual immorality. That simply isn't what this story is about. If you read the passage closely, you realize that. Now, it may have been a a teacher you trust or a preacher you trust who told you that this was a story of sexual immorality being forgiven. Preachers get things wrong all the time. I know I do it years from now. Somebody's going to be correcting everything I do. In fact, probably tomorrow, some of you will be emailing me correcting things that I've said here. It's okay to admit that teachers and preachers can be wrong from time to time. And in this story, if we talk about it as sexual immorality being forgiven, we're missing the point of this story. If this were a story about sexual immorality being forgiven, I'm going back to John chapter 4 here, then we would actually have the phrase on Jesus' mouth saying, your sins are forgiven. But we don't have that. That's in a later story in John chapter 8. If this were a story of sexual immorality, then the Samaritan woman would be asking for forgiveness. She would have confessed something, but at no point does she confess anything. And yes, Jesus says that she has five husbands, but that's actually not a sign of sexual immorality. That's not a sign of adultery. Jesus' culture and the Samaritan woman's culture, it wasn't one where women could leave their husbands whenever they wanted. Especially not women in Jesus' area. That's just not the way divorce worked. In that day and age, divorce worked because a husband would send his wife away. Most often, the wife would be sent away because she couldn't bear children. So this woman at the well that Jesus meets with, this Samaritan woman, It's not that she has committed some sort of sexual immorality. Most likely, it's that her husbands either died on her or they sent her away because she couldn't have children. And when Jesus says, the man you are living with now is not your husband, she's not shacking up with her boyfriend. That that idea didn't even exist in Jesus' day. Most likely, she's in what's called a Leverite marriage, which says that if a a man dies... His brother is to take his wife in and care for her. He can marry her, but he doesn't have to. 
And if she's had five other husbands, she's probably viewed as cursed. She's probably viewed as having a curse that has led to her husband's dying and to her not having children. So it would make sense that the man that would take her in, likely one of her dead husband's brothers, wouldn't want to marry her because he doesn't want the curse. And it makes sense of why she's going to the well alone. Usually, women in the culture would go to the well together because there was safety in numbers. But if she's viewed as cursed, she's by herself. So this isn't a story about sexual immorality. And I think it's important that we recognize that because this is a story about what I consider to be one of the heroes in the Gospel of John. This is a woman who is lifted up as a hero, as an example of walking in the light. Because think about this conversation versus the one with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is educated, he's supposed to understand everything, and he doesn't get at all what God is doing in Jesus. This woman at the well is a Samaritan. She's supposed to be an enemy of God's people. Yet she gets exactly who Jesus is. She sees it. She asks intelligent questions. She is perceptive. She understands who Jesus is. And what does that result in? It results in her running as fast as she can to spread the news of who Jesus is to people in her town and her community. Nicodemus is the example of walking in the darkness. The woman at the well is the example of walking in the light. She's somebody who understands, who sees clearly what God is doing in Jesus, and who goes and tells people who Jesus is. And I believe, coming back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this sermon, that we start to see what this eternal life that the Gospel of John invites us into, what it looks like from this woman at the well. We start to see glimpses of what the life that Jesus invites us into, what it actually is for our lives here with the woman at the well. What can we learn from her? And what can we learn from this interaction between her and Jesus? The first thing I think we can learn is about this eternal life, this life of the ages. What we can learn is that the boundaries and the barriers and the classifications that we use don't matter anymore in this eternal life. What we think is important, that divides us from each other, from other human beings, it falls away when we accept Jesus as Messiah. This, this woman, she is a Samaritan and she is a woman. In the text, it tells us very clearly Jesus is not supposed to be talking to her. She points that out, saying to him that he's Jewish, she's Samaritan. Why are they interacting? Those, those two people groups are not supposed to interact. On top of that, he's a man and she's a woman. On two different counts, this conversation should have never happened. But Jesus is inviting her into the life of the age to come. Those boundaries, those distinctions, they don't matter anymore. Jesus changes the way we interact with people. The classifications we use, they fall apart, and we become defined only by our relationship to Jesus. That's one of the most important things, I think, for our day and age for us to remember and for us to learn about this life of the ages to come. So that's the first thing we can learn is that those classifications, they fall apart. Second thing I think we can learn from her this is one of my favorite details in this story. Again, read John chapter 4. Look at it closely. We're told that the woman goes to her town, but she leaves her bucket behind. Her whole point of going to the well was to get water. But in her excitement, in her eagerness to tell people who Jesus is, she leaves the bucket behind. 
When you enter into the life to come, when you enter into the eternal life that Jesus invites us into, your priorities change. What you once thought was important or necessary, it doesn't seem to be as important or necessary anymore. Instead, for everybody who enters into this eternal life that Jesus calls us to, the most important thing becomes letting people know who Jesus is. That begins to define our lives. It changes how we approach our day-to-day jobs. It changes how we live out our lives. It changes how we interact with our community and our town. Letting people know who Jesus is. Evangelizing. And by that, I mean spreading the good news of what God did in Jesus. That becomes the most important thing when you enter into this eternal life. And what's the third thing I think we can learn from her? This might be the most important one for us right now. From this woman, we learn that the eternal life, walking in the light, it doesn't just start after we die. It doesn't just begin after we die. The eternal life that this woman begins, it starts right here with this interaction that she has with Jesus. It starts right then. The eternal life that Jesus invites us into, it begins when we interact with Jesus for the first time. That, I think, is one of the most important things that we can take from these two stories of Nicodemus and the woman at the well and from John 3.16. That the eternal life that is offered to us, it's not just after we die. It's actually right now that it begins. It's funny that the idea of eternal life and heaven have become so connected. It's interesting to me that that's happened because heaven is something that does happen after we die. But eternal life, it actually begins right now. And Billy Graham was somebody who understood this better than anyone. In that interview that I talked about at the very beginning of this sermon, where Billy Graham was asked what his favorite Bible passage is, and he said John 3.16. Billy Graham actually went on to say this, that John 3.16 says that life doesn't begin when you die. It begins here and now. Again, Billy Graham understood life, the eternal life Jesus invites us into. It doesn't begin when we die. It begins here and now. In the same way that that woman at the well, she met Jesus and her identity changed. Her priorities changed. Her entire life changed. That's what happens to each and every one of us when we interact with Jesus. And I know that we are in this pandemic and it feels isolating and life feels so different. But the eternal life that Jesus invites us into, it continues on. For each and every one of us who find ourselves in Christ, God is at work. God is still working to reach the community around us. And we can be doing that as well through creative ways. The eternal life that we are invited into It begins right now. That, I believe, is one of the main points of this interaction that Jesus has with this woman at the well. I wish I knew how her story ended. She's one of the most interesting characters in all of Scripture to me. But we don't get her ending. We only get the beginning of her story. And it's a mark for us that our stories begin in the same way. That moment we interact with Jesus, we begin eternal life. The process begins. And we have so much to look forward to, so much to be grateful for. 
So may we see how Jesus is meeting us now. May we see how Jesus is breaking into our lives, introducing himself to us and interacting with us in the same way he called the woman at the well. May we respond in the same way she did, recognizing our identities in Christ, leaving behind anything we have to so that we can move forward and tell people who Jesus is. May we follow her example. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.
Tell the world of the treasure 